welcome back to Educate Ebony with Ebony, your host. Um, how are we feeling? We're on episode five. I'm pretty excited. We're getting into the thick of it now. So, you know, onwards and upwards. So last week I chatted to Jim Gray from Caligula's Horse. And I have to say, when we did the interview, it took me ages to figure out that when he says seahorse, he's referring to Caligula's horse. And midway through the interview, I, it just clicked with me and I was like, oh, of course, that makes a lot of sense. And then, you know, I forgot about it. And then I had to edit the interview and I'm listening to it again, being like, what the heck is Seahorse? Was he in a previous band? What's going on there? Uh, and then it clicked again. So if you didn't realize, Seahorse is Caligula's horse. Yeah. No, but the album he said to listen to was Watershed by Opeth. And as my first Opeth album, and I feel like I've said this about every single album so far this season, and you know what, probably for majority of them last season as well, but it was really cool. I do feel like all the things he said to look out for, like the terminal endings, and it was through composed, and the transitions. I think the transitions I heard, but I feel like the rest of it, I'm just not learned enough to hear it yet. I think it would take a lot more listening and focusing because I, I pro- actually know. Um, I take one of those back. I think I understand when a song is through composed because obviously there's no like, you know, verse, chorus, verse layout. It just keeps going because the only reason I feel like I understand that is because a song would end and I'd be like, oh, nice. And then the next one would start and I'd be freaking five minutes deep into that one and be like, I literally can't remember what the previous song is like. So I can't say what song I like best because I have no idea. Sometimes I don't know where a song started or where a song ended. Not at all. So I find it, <laughs> it's really hard to explain, but I enjoyed, I enjoyed the album. Yeah. And I did listen to it a couple of times and I just, yeah, you just get a bit lost. I'm just listening and I'm like, oh, I don't know what song it is. Is this, is this a different track? What's going on? And then I'm like, oh, I thought I liked the last track. Oh, was that actually the last song or was that an earlier part of this song? I just don't know. So I am perplexed yet intrigued. Anyway, so thanks, Jim. That was a good lesson. I'm really excited for this episode. I will introduce it in a minute, but I will say that when we first recorded this, it was, I don't know what month it was. It was definitely early this year. So if we talk about music or albums coming, the album's out. The album's already out. If you haven't checked it out, go do it. Anyway, I'm very peppy today. And if you must know, it's just because none of my housemates are home when I'm recording this, so I can be as loud as I want and not have to be embarrassed about them hearing me talking to myself in my room alone. Yeah, all right, come find me on socials at Educate Ebony. Tell me I'm doing a good job. No, I'm kidding, I don't need validation. I just need your likes. No, anyway, all right, please enjoy. Let's get to it. For this episode of Educate Ebony, the prog edition, I would love to introduce Ethan McCann. He is a captivating guitarist in Melbourne's metalcore band Thornhill who are drip-feeding us some sweet musical morsels as the year goes by. Other than that, though, I really don't know a lot about him because his online presence is quite private. So let's find out. Ethan, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Ah, it's great to have you. But yeah, I was doing my little pre-interview stalk, as I usually do, and I really didn't find too much info about you. Like, you know, your Instagram is aesthetic as heck, but it doesn't really allude to much other than music. So, you know, you're an Ibanez Guitars fan, if I said that right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I was, yeah, I've been playing them since I was, oh, 
I want to say like year seven or year eight, it was like really the first electric guitar that I bought. And I sort of came off them for a few years and then got endorsed by them when we started the band. So, yeah. you know, 14 year old me is crying, which is cool. <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, like the my Instagram and stuff really is just a tool for the band now because it just takes up your whole life, you know. <laughs> yeah. Do you have much other time for like hobbies and, and life outside of the band and work and regular life? Uh, it is hard at times. It is like there's a lot of balls in the air, but like we do this because it is our passion. So if I wasn't working or touring, I'm writing for myself or writing for the band because it's what I enjoy. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about some music, especially with this being like the prog edition, like progressive rock, progressive metal, progressive whatever else. What's your interpretation of that? Because everyone sort of understands it a bit different, but like what was your background into this sort of genre and what do you feel about it? Well, to be honest, I'm still really not sure. I just sort of take like progressive music as music that kind of takes you on a bit of a journey. It doesn't have that sort of like standard song structure. It's like there's a bit more sort of flow, which I really enjoy. But yeah, I wouldn't say I listen to lots of like straight up proggy stuff, like classically proggy stuff. Yeah, hence why I chose this album, because it's sort of like this weird like half in, half out sort of vibe, which is sort of as proggy as I get really. Yeah. No, that's cool. All right, well, what is the one prog album that I need to hear? For me, it's Silverchair's Diorama, which I think is their magnum opus, and a lot of people sleep on it. Really? Why do you think it is? Because Frog Stomp was like a huge, huge, huge album for them as well. Frog Stomp was, and it was definitely like the landmark album. Like a lot of people, you know, that's sort of what got them famous. But it was a very like of the time sort of sound. It was like very 90s, very grungy, very inspired by, you know, like, Pearl Jam and those sorts of bands but like even though they pull influences from other stuff on Diorama they just like stopped giving a shit they just did whatever they wanted and it was so epic (laughs) I love it (laughs) (laughs) okay so where did it come out in like Silverchair's discography are we talking like this is like middle of the pack I haven't really I haven't listened to the whole thing yeah it's towards the end so it was like Frog Stomp and then Freak Show which is sort of like the you know grungier 90s stuff and then they went into Neon Borum, which is sort of like dipping their toes in this territory, but it was still like keeping it pretty 90s. But then with Diorama, it was full, just like pantomime, like music score, like full orchestra shit. Wow. That's so cool. When did you first hear it? Uh, it was actually the Silverchair album that I sort of grew up with. So my my parents had it, and, you know, I would listen to it while we were doing housework or something when I was anywhere from six or 10, you know? Yeah. I mean... For me, my first Silverchair album or even anything listening to them was Frog Stomp, which was really, really cool. And then I sort of, uh, I guess with their later stuff, I just didn't really get it because I think I was too set in my ways to be like, well, I like this Silverchair. So I'm, I'm ready to branch out yeah. <laughs> and understand a bit more about this <laughs> album. So you said they brought in like a full orchestra. Is it a bit more like classically influenced or just you said whatever the heck they wanted? Yeah, kind of. It definitely feels like there's parts that feel like really classical. They had that um, the composer or, or the arranger, I don't know what you call him, that Van Dyke dude that used to work with like the Beach Boys and stuff. So he does like crazy arrangements with strings. It just sounds like he's putting together like a full like fantasy world, which is stuff that I actually sort of applied to our newer stuff. Like I was really inspired by this album, writing out new material. Cool. So on some of like the unreleased stuff, it's really like orchestral based. We actually had someone come in to sort of work with me doing that. What was that like? That would have been like a huge, um, a huge change, surely. Yeah, it was. And it's like, it's 
like I've always enjoyed that sort of music. Like I've always been the guy that, you know, like watch a movie and get really hooked on the film score and just listen to the film score straight for a few days. Mm. Um, so I've always enjoyed that music and I've always enjoyed writing that music because you can sort of like build crazy chords and like programs these days. But yeah, adding that to our sort of like heavier stuff. Yeah, just set up this really cool atmosphere and reminded me of these guys and the Smashing Pumpkins from the late 90s. Yeah, because I would say, um, especially with Thornhill's music, uh, The Dark Pool in 2019, I, yeah, definitely heavy. I would feel like a little bit of like progressive sort of influences in there, just with the way you put stuff together. And then with your newer stuff like Archangel and Casanova, it definitely has changed. And I feel like you were alluding to the fact that there's like some more orchestral elements. I can definitely, I can see that for the future Thornhill, which is really exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so many possibilities. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> I'm keen for it. I'm keen to release it. Yeah. Well, how was COVID for you? Because, you know, did you have lots of time to listen to music or you're still working or going crazy? Man, it's been going on for so long now. I keep forgetting that it takes up like two years of my life. It started out pretty well. We just ended our first European tour with Wage War at the start mm. of 2020. And then we came home and basically that kicked off lockdown for two years. So initially I loved it because I just came back from like, you know, our biggest high as a band and like in my career. Uh, and there was all this free time to just sit and listen to music and write music. And I felt like super inspired. Yeah. So I, I like punched out a bunch of demos that ended up making the final album, you know, within that sort of first month of lockdown. But then like you hit a wall pretty quickly, sitting in the same room, sitting at the same desk every day. Yeah, and you're like, now what? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like not being able to bounce off the boys like with ideas or just sort of get inspired by anything anymore. I was just kinda like Yeah. And is that where Diorama came into it as well, with the being inspired by this album? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely came back to this album a bit. I was I was already obsessed with like that sort of alt-rock 90s era, sort of late 90s. And then I sort of forgot about this album, which I grew up with. So yeah, throughout that writing process, I sort of came back to it and forgot how good it was. Oh, so would you say that COVID made you realise how important it was to you? Yeah, for sure. That's really sweet. (laughs) (laughs) Something good to come out of the lockdowns and the isolation. Yeah. (laughs) Well, um, aside from like, I guess the orchestral side of this album, is there another aspect that you really love that you reckon maybe people overlook? Because you did say people overlook it. So what about this album stands out to you? Yeah, for sure. I think the main thing that I sort of listen to in music and enjoy is like, because I mainly just work with instrumentals myself. It's just like how my brain works. I can't do words. Hmm. I really focus on like chord progressions and how a song, like sections of a song flow in and out of each other. Like I find those transitions to be like the most satisfying thing ever when a band can pull off, you know, like awkward transitions or like sort of make it work. It's like really satisfying to me. So that's what they did with this album. That's why I think that's like a really proggy aspect, not not just the unconventional song structure, but just like how they sort of like arrange it was really cool. Um, like, you know, these sort of like cool drops into choruses where they sort of don't take the turn that you're expecting it to. I find it really cool. I love it. Yeah. What song What song really stands out to you that does that? Tuna and the Brine, probably. That's the one that's just like, that feels really progressive because it just makes its way through long. It, it feels like four or five different songs, but it's all still sort of cohesive. Wow. How many, I don't know, for me at least, being, I guess, non-musically based, I feel like I'd need to listen to it many, many times to be able to hear 
what you hear. How many times do you usually put on an album or a song until you're like, got it, yes. I hear what you're doing and I like it. Uh, it really depends. It's like sometimes it takes ages for me to like shake bands because I'm, I'm stubborn and I feel like I know what I like. And then I'll listen to, you know, like one song that sort of gets stuck in my head for a little while and a little bit more and then I'll just get obsessed with that band. So it can take anywhere from like first listen to like the 30th listen. I remember our drummer, Ben, was trying to get me onto Deftones since like year 12, since like 2015. <laughs> And I'm like, nah, man, this sucks. This is so boring. And then it's like three years later, I'm in lockdown. Wow. So you really persist. All those wasted years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's great that you do like knuckle down and be like, okay, I'll keep trying because that's more than I can say for myself. Definitely. Yeah. I don't give a lot of bands sort of <laughs> that much time. <laughs> so usually I'll just make the call earlier. And be like, no, I've had enough. Not today. Yeah. Going back to Diorama by Silverchair, that's what I like. Well, then, did they follow it up? What was their next album like? The next album wasn't really my cup of tea. That was the, their last album as a group, that Young Modern one. Oh, right. It was still cool. It was had, like that straight line single that everybody knows. But yeah, it was just a bit more sort of like poppy, sort of like modern Beatles inspired, which is cool. Like, I love the Beatles. But I think this was like what like how people think of frog stomp it's like this is my silver chair i like this silver chair yeah and then when they didn't do that i'm like ah <laughs> which is rich coming from a guy that's like releasing music because i hate people like that <laughs> releasing music today <laughs> no oh sorry i thought you meant like <gasps> but by the time this comes out it'll be old news anyway but in terms of being a mainstream band uh well being considered a mainstream band with silver chair do you wish that they had stayed more underground and like done this sort of music that they did on Diorama? Because then I guess it would have exploded. Oh, I don't know. What, I don't want to say a bit more, but it would have been maybe more popular and would have brought those elements to the forefront a bit more. Because I feel like uh, maybe it's just us in Australia. We're obsessed with um, the bands that haven't made it in quotes or aren't quite mainstream yet because we feel like they're more ours. Does that make sense? Yeah, I get you. I feel like not necessarily because by the time that they released this album, they were sort of already at their like peak. Like they're really as popular as they were going to get. But yeah, I don't, I don't think it would have like sort of altered it for me because like so many people hated this album. I think because it was so left of that initial direction, they actually lost like a lot of their fans. And it's only, it seems to like from the research that I've done of like interviews and forums and stuff, this was like a massive sleeper. Like people come, came back to it 10 years later when the band wasn't even a thing. And they're like, oh, this is actually sick. But like nobody realized at the time. Wow. That's kind of disappointing yeah. for the band at the time of the release. Just be everyone being like, oh, not keen. And then years later, oh, it's a slow burn. I mean, that's still satisfying in a way for them as well. But like, can you imagine being that ahead of the curve to then have people like it 10 years later and be like, well, like, what the fuck were you 10 years ago? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was I was actually um listening to that uh, who is Daniel John's podcast on Spotify, where he does this like I think it's like a six piece interview or something, and it's just about sort of his history and what he's up to now. It was really cool. But there's even a segment on after the band split, and even the manager now says that like Diorama is the album that like people talk about most these days. Yeah. Wow. Which is weird. That's really interesting. Do you hope that for Thornhill? that one of your future albums will be the one that everyone talks about for decades to come? 
Yeah, uh, I hope so. I mean, I hope it's just kind of like, I hope we can keep that as a gradual thing, not just like yeah. a spike. <laughs> no, every other one on the rise. Because <laughs> that kind of suck. <laughs> no, yeah, definitely. that's the goal. So if it's still standing up a decade later, do you reckon it's going to stand up in future years? They'll still be talking about this album? About Diorama? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think not a lot of people have like pulled off that sort of left turn in their career. It's like, you know, like um, like Radiohead releasing Kid A and stuff. Like I think those like really big, like monumental changes in band styles are just really like, it's just really cool and not a lot of people can pull it off, I think. Yeah, have to keep listening out for it. All right, so uh, when I go to put on this album, uh, how should I listen to it? Do I have any listening notes? Should I be doing a certain something or just chilling? What do you What do you recommend? Yeah, it's a good one. I'd say I'd say do it how I did it and just like put it out loud while you're doing housework. Because like I feel like there's enough sort of interesting parts that you'll sort of like your ears will spark up, and then maybe you know when you have a sec, you can sit down and like do it again. Yeah, that's it definitely does deserve two lessons, I think. Okay, all right. So I have to organize with my housemates to clean two weeks in a row. <laughs> They're going to love me. Yeah. <laughs> and chuck this one yeah. on. Oh, cool. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Anything else you want us to know about the album in particular? I guess just like one of the other things that I love about it is how diverse it is as well. Because I like, I don't really enjoy listening to the same sort of music over and over again. Like I can't deal with just listening to a genre. I definitely get obsessed with certain bands, but I sort of like jumping all over the place, which is why I think it's sort of shown in our music as well. Like it's not all the same shit. Like, you know, there's some soft stuff, some slow stuff. Um, But that's one of the things that I think these guys pull off really well, like going between like completely different sort of genres and vibes and styles, yet making this full body of work still like super cohesive. I always find that like super impressive. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I'm excited. So, yeah, amazing. There we have it. The one prog album that Ethan McCann thinks that you and I should listen to is Diorama by Silverchair. Ethan, thank you so much for your wisdom. I can't wait to listen to it from your point of view. Hey, anytime. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoy it. Well, just one more question so we really, you know, just get to know you. Uh, Are you a cat or a dog person? Uh, Definitely a dog person. Oh, interesting. Cats freak me out. Really? Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say the thing that everyone <laughs> says, and it's like, you just haven't met the right cat yet. Yeah, I've heard that one a few times. I just feel like they're so entitled, you know? <laughs> like, they'll just walk around like they own the place. I don't fuck with that. That's the best part. 